Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots and American taxpayers to the one and only Conservative Review podcast, your only national town hall for independent conservative thought. Uh, We are back in the house for a new week, a new month, March 2nd, Monday here. And it is may as well be Thursday or Friday because what a weekend it has been. I'm, I'm telling you, since we got off the air together on Friday, I recorded a little bit on the early side. It's like there's 50 million stories Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, obviously, everything from the fallout of the coronavirus to the Democrat primaries, um, all sorts of news there. And you have the insanity of the courts. The hits keep coming on Friday. You got Republican primaries. People forget with Super Tuesday coming up uh, that we're going to focus on. You got North Korea launching missiles. Um, I'm sure I forgot a lot of stuff and a lot of our usual stories that aren't even in the news, but nonetheless are important to the Forgotten American Taxpayers Coalition here which uh, we are, and we are, by the way, working on some sort of some sort of national town hall that we could have fixed online, whether it's a Facebook page, a Twitter page. So we have some of our listeners are working on networking together. Um, I will tell you guys that one of the most enjoyable things about this job is meeting everyday Americans that are just normal. I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm the crazy one. I look around, look to my left, look to my right in this business, and I'm thinking, am I the only one who cares about what is important, who cares about results and outcomes for what we actually espouse rather than just getting involved in the soap opera and uh, glorifying myself and my own self-image and listening to myself talk or watch myself on TV? And then I get emails from some, some of you guys, and I'm thinking, wow, other people think like me as well. And I think that's why a lot of you turn and in, tune into this show, because you basically are watching the same thing. Hey, is, is anyone noticing their forgotten American? So we are working on that as well. Now, with everything going on, I got to do some triage here. These are really the times where I wish I had 10 of me to do this. Um, there are going to be a lot of important stories I'm going to miss in a week like this. But obviously, you know what I'm going to talk about today. Those of you who are veterans of our advanced degree program here know exactly what I'm going to focus on. And it's the courts. Because, my friends, nothing matters until this issue is dealt with. If we are going to believe that any judge, any panel, any time, any place could override national borders, and create an affirmative right for caravans to enter our country and that the other branches will roll over and say, yes, at a time when Central American intelligence agencies are warning that there are criminals and MS-13 among these caravans, at a time of coronavirus, when we're shutting down legal travel, I mean, not as quickly enough that many of us wanted, but we're shutting down legal travel, that a court could just say, hey, People could just come to your land border. You got to let them in. And somehow that is the law. There is no way we could recover from that. 
there is nothing more to talk about because you know what? The issues don't matter. The elections certainly don't matter. Because what was proven on Friday and in several other cases, I bet some of you haven't heard of as well, the hits keep coming with the courts. If we don't immediately get the president to start pushing, etching in the national consciousness, in the body politic, the idea of decompartmentalism and constitutional interpretation, the Lincoln view of construction of the judiciary, of the three branches of government, that they all have an equal opportunity to interpret the law and the Constitution the way they see fit as it relates to their independent powers, albeit the courts have the weakest power to affect that outcome. If we don't believe that, we don't have a country. We really don't have a country. So that's the main course today. Is there any limitation whatsoever on a federal judge's power? That is the question I'd love someone to answer. Is there any limitation? And I'm not exaggerating here. Many of you know, and if you don't know, shame on you. You should buy my book if you haven't. I wrote a book a couple years ago. Came out before the election. I wrote it really when the primary was starting. We didn't know Donald Trump would win the nomination, much less be president. But I wrote my book, Stolen Sovereignty, warning among other things, that even if you get the most auspicious electoral results in 2016, whoever you want to get wants to do really good things. You get a Republican Congress. And even, even if theoretically you had good Republicans, which we didn't, but if we are not going to challenge the notion of judicial supremacism, I warned that the courts will be empowered to veto. Of course, they don't have a veto power, but they will be empowered to veto Every good thing we want to do, they will roll us backwards and create even worse chaos than than when we had Democrat elected leaders, because Democrat unelected leaders in the judiciary don't face electoral backlash. And nothing will matter. And specifically, I, I warned that whereas the courts for years created a bunch of BS rights for Americans to transform our society. They were on the cusp of, of basically breaching the one firewall, the final frontier in judicial supremacy, giving affirmative rights to 7.8 billion people in the world potentially to immigrate and to remain here against the national will. And I noted that whatever we do on immigration policy won't matter if we are going to accede to the premise of judicial supremacism. Here we are, and I'm here to tell you that the courts are actually doing things that make my book look really underwhelming. Usually when you write a book, you exaggerate and say, oh, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. Actually, everything happened times 100. I, I never would have dreamt of a scenario where courts would have gone this far with such openly apparent devastating consequences to our national security and the other branches would totally indulge it. Totally indulge it. So many of you are familiar with the fact that the entire border crisis that began really in the summer of, 
2017 and intensified in the spring of 2018 began with court rulings that basically mandated catch and release for people who come here with kids. Okay, that's how it started. And we're like, no way, come on. There's no way the executive branch is going to allow the courts to override 150 years of what is called the most ancient principles of sovereignty in our case law from the Supreme Court starting in the 1880s, but really backed up by everything the founders said in the 1700s. And that they're actually going to spawn the crisis of hundreds of thousands of people coming to our border and all of the cascading ills, certainly for Americans, but even for the aliens and the stolen kids and and the the MS-13 and everything getting into the country. No way. They're not going to do this. And yes, they did it. Finally, after a year of this, they got it under control with several policies. Finally, 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 listening to me after me yelling in the darkness for so long that under 1182F of 8 USC and really inherent in executive authority, inherent authority, not just delegated authority, the president could always shut off any form of immigration no matter what and condition it. No, if you want to come here, you have to wait outside. You have to go elsewhere. And the president worked with Mexico, and this is going to be very important when you're discussing the legalities of this, The president engaged in very sensitive diplomatic relations with other countries. He engaged in foreign policy to concoct a policy that, hey, if you know you want to claim asylum, which, of course, this is all bogus. They're all coming here to remit money back home to build houses, as Todd Benzman uh, reported at CIS. Um, But if you want to scam our system, you're going to wait in Mexico while you do this. It's called the MPP Migration uh, Policy Protocols. Um, And that's what really choked it off. And the numbers went down from 150,000 a month back down to now, what, like 30, 35,000 a month. And we knew this was winding its way in the courts. And we said, there's no way, there's no way the administration is going to lose all of that ground and allow an invasion to be spawned based on, on a court ruling. But nonetheless, Ninth Circuit came out, two to one opinion on Friday, just declaring an edict, MPP is struck down. You, you, you can't, you must allow them in the country. Now, we'll get to the issues with that in a minute, but I just want to point out the political consequences. So in case anyone didn't understand illegal immigration, they thought, oh, this is a natural disaster. There's nothing we can do about it. No, no, no. As we said all along, this is not even an issue of a border wall. It's not a logistical issue. It's all lawfare. If you invite them to come through the courts, they'll come. If you say you can come and make it clear that we will enforce the law and you won't be able to have a life here and you won't be able to get work and identity and a driver's license and benefits and birthright citizenship, they won't come. And literally, you could plot it on 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 a graph the last couple of years where we had the courts opening the doors, they came immediately. Where we finally shut it off, they stopped coming. That's all it is. It's that simple. So I just first want to point out, the minute this came down, the minute this came down, you saw all these people rush the border at El Paso. They had to shut down the bridge. 
these people are more savvy about the laws than we are. Now, they do have all these NGOs, just so you know, the same NGOs that are suing in court are also organizing the caravan. So it's a push-pull. They're working together. But these people know the ins and outs. The average American, because of the broken conservative media, might not know about all this stuff going on in the courts, as they should. But believe me, these people do. So the consequences are enormous. Now, ultimately, they asked for an emergency stay. They granted it. So it's very much up in the air today. I think there's more oral arguments today on that. But one thing is clear from this administration. They will submit themselves to whatever the courts say. There is no limit. So um, they do have this emergency stay on the injunction now. But until then, they immediately gave an order to their field offices there saying, end MPP. You can't do that. So we now have it clear that you could have an invasion of our country coming in. You see them, you see they'll come in. And a single judge in defiance of rules of standing, in defiance of statute, in defiance of the Constitution, in defiance of of endless case law, including Trump v. Hawaii, that said 1182 F the president could shut off or make conditions at any time he wants. It doesn't matter. They could come back one round, another round, another round. And we're going to talk about that the several rounds again, how this whole thing is a joke. But there is no limit. You could have just won it in the Supreme Court. Doesn't matter. If they come back another round, go to the Ninth Circuit. Oh, by the way, so much for this. Oh, we're flipping the Ninth Circuit. Remember that? <laughs> that went away awfully quickly. So it is very clear. And, and I hear from my friends in the administration, the lawyers at DOJ, at DHS, at the Office of Legal Counsel in the White House, they believe fully there is literally nothing a judge could do if a judge would turn on the lights in his court without a plaintiff and just issue an edict which they're essentially doing that's the law i'm assuming if they if, if i were to sue the president and and they would give me standing to say he has to meet with me for breakfast every every week every sunday he would do it there is nothing outside the bounds boundary of the powers of the of the courts now of course it's not true but again that is how our body politic views it and it is there there is nothing more to talk about until this is resolved because this is what affects every single issue everyone clearly understands the boundaries of executive power of legislative power but somehow when it comes to the courts all bets are off i say this all the time this has been going on forever when Congress subpoenas an executive branch official to appear before, you know, a House, a Senate committee. Often the executive branch will say, screw you, we're a separate branch of government. We think you're wrong and we're going to do what we want here. But somehow when the weaker, the weakest branch of government, which had, there's no injunction. I mean, they can issue an injunction all they want the same way I could issue an injunction or you could issue an injunction. As Hamilton said in Federalist 78, it would just be regarded as a usurpation. They have no self-executing power. I was like, well, Daniel, the judge blocked it. What do we do? They didn't block anything. There's no veto power. When a pre if Congress passes a bill and the president vetoes it, it's blocked, right? It didn't get off the ground. 
There's no veto. They could grant judgment to a plaintiff and say, hey, you plaintiff, um, you don't have to go to jail. But that's, let's say, a criminal conviction when the executive branch wants to criminally convict someone. So you go to a court because a court is in charge of convicting someone here. What do we do? I grant relief to Pablo Hula Hulalaka, who never came to the country and is outside our country. OK, you're granted relief. Fine. We, we won't bother you. Uh, we, the executive branch, aren't trying to do anything. Oh, you, the courts, are telling us that we must get agents down there and bring them into the country? That's not an, a judicial power. That's executive power, and you're wrong. You're wrong le legally, politically, and policy-wise. It's destructive to our country. I mean, during a time of a coronavirus, when the public is clamoring, like, you know, the media is accusing Trump of not doing enough, really, the Trump administration can't stand before the American people and say, look, the Supreme Court already just said 1182F, I could shut it off. And we had so much destruction from this. We're really going to bring this back immediately because of a judge at a time of a of a global pandemic. The American people would easily understand that this is the perfect time. But again, like we saw with the census, with whatever, there is nothing a court cannot do, even if statute says you can't hear the case. Nothing. I first want to just mention something that I think is very important for you guys to understand. For those of you who heard this already, it will be old, but I think it's worth repeating for our new audience. We have a growing audience, but it's worth worth hearing again, no matter what. I, I wrote an article um, during the peak of the border crisis, really in the summer of last year, when it was just peaking to 140, 150,000 a month of apprehensions, catch and release and everything. And I said this, I said, Obviously, there's no standing for foreign nationals to sue for the right to get in. Obviously, it's set a law. It's antithetical to a right. Obviously, the president has the authority to shut it off. Obviously, it's against case law. But even let's say the Constitution said thou shall have open borders. There is no way even the Constitution, anything could compel such a devastating result to a sovereign nation. Meaning, even if, if somehow you would have a broken law that would seem to indicate they have the right to do that, it could never compel that. The constant, this is the adage, this is the place where you apply the adage of the Constitution is not a suicide pact. That came, ironically, from Justice Robert Jackson, the great champion of individual rights and due process, the lead prosecutor at Nuremberg, the lead dissenter in the famous Japanese internment case, uh, Korematsu. This is where you would apply it. You see, there was a case. A lot of people know the Constitution is not a suicide pact. Where does it come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. There was a 1949 court case. Um, terminal, ter, uh, terminal, terminal, ah, I can't pronounce it. Terminelio v. Chicago, 1949. So they basically, his fellow colleagues on the Supreme Court, ruled that the Chicago ordinance that led to the conviction of this like fascist speaker quote, stirs the public to anger, invites dispute, brings about a condition of unrest, 
or creates a disturbance was unconstitutional. Right, so they convicted this guy for creating a public disturbance. It was creating too much uh, mayhem for the cops. Um, just violence broke out. This fascist speaker would get up there in Chicago and speak in 1949. Now, this guy was an American citizen. This was real, unvarnished First Amendment. So a uh, clear freedom of speech. He didn't. I don't, I don't think he necessarily he didn't call to arms or call for violence, but it created a climate of violence. And Chicago had an ordinance and they convicted him based on it. So here, I mean, this is very much the province of a court. You're convicting an individual American on what is clearly a prima facie First Amendment right. And the court said, yeah, that's unconstitutional. It's unconstitutional, so they overturned the conviction. Justice Jackson wrote in his dissent that you reach a point when, quote, the choice is not between order and liberty. It is between liberty with order and anarchy without either. He warned in his dissent, it was joined by um, three other justices, I believe it was a five to four opinion, quote, there is danger that if the court does not temper is doctrinaire logic with a little practical wisdom it will convert the Constitutional Bill of Rights into a suicide pact. That is where this term of making the Constitution or something a suicide pact, I believe, comes from. Now again, despite the flagrant constitutional violation by Chicago of the rights of a U.S. citizen, Jackson felt that the majority had reached the point of, quote, accepting the doctrine that civil liberty means the removal of all restraints to maintain order, to maintain order. And he said, quote, in the long run, it would make the maintenance of free speech more endangered if the population can have no protection from the abuses which lead to violence. Now, remember, Jackson was a champion of due process and individual rights. <laughs> so I'm saying it's, it's very important realizing that it came from him. Now, even the five justices who disagreed, again, that was an individual American being implicated in a conviction for unambiguous First Amendment rights. How much more so when you have the disorder of foreign nationals and everything mixed in with that coming to our border? You know, the Joint uh, Border Intelligence Group, it's an El Salvadoran-based uh, intel agency. They warned us recently, this came out, my buddies at Center for Immigration Studies put this out, that there's a caravan bound for the United States that has um, migrants with criminal backgrounds from El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. They're, these governments are warning us, ironically, um, and that they've identified known criminals Wanted for homicide, kidnapping, extortion, and terrorism. Some felons were known members of MS-13 and 18th Street. Um, last month, Mexican authorities announced the formation of U.S.-bound Devil's Caravan. The namesake originated from information that human smugglers and other offenders composed a sizable number of the Central American migrant caravan. Folks. <laughs> So we have that coming in. We have obviously the pandemic globally 
or the perception thereof of coronavirus. And you're telling me that a district judge is a suicide pact? A freaking district judge or a Ninth Circuit judge overriding sovereignty, the social compact, statute 1182F and tons of others, the Constitution, creating the antithesis of a right, violating rules of standing, giving a standing to third-party organizations. You're telling me that's a suicide pact? And, and it, it could compel such an outcome? Again, Jackson talked about this in the context of an American with a First Amendment right. This is antithetical, right? I mean, because what Chicago was doing was kind of kind of really, you know, breaching the line there. They had an ordinance straight up saying we're going to infringe First Amendment rights, freedom of speech of Americans. Here, what the president is doing is, quote, in the words of um, Gallatin, the court case in Galvin v. Press, which is still used by the Supreme Court in, in this context to this day, has become about as firmly embedded in the legislative and judicial tissues of our body politic as any aspect of our government, not merely by a page of history, but a whole volume, end quote. Kleinstadt v. Mandel, it's inherent in sovereignty consistent with ancient principles of international law and to be exercised exclusively by the political branches of government. Ironically, in the irony of all ironies, you're, you're only going to hear this here. This is my observation. Justice Jackson. Again, Justice Jackson. Shaughnessy v. Mezay, 1953. Due process does not invest any alien with a right to enter the United States nor confer on those admitted the right to remain against the national will. An alien's claim to enter, much less a mass population transfer spawned by criminal organizations, is antithetical to a fundamental civil liberty, as fire is to water. The law can never impede a government from protecting the ultimate public order of national, order, national borders. And they're talking about public order in Chicago. I mean, this is the ultimate public order of national borders. You know, you look at the Supreme Court in Finer v. New York, 1951, just two years after that Chicago case. They actually cited, see, 1949, ultimately, ultimately the majority was against Jackson. But two years later, they actually sided with police in Syracuse, New York, who arrested a man for inciting a mob. This guy, Irving Finer, caused a riot in Syracuse in March 1949 when he urged black people to, quote, rise up in arms and fight for equal, equal rights. He was arrested and charged with breaching the peace after police told him three times to stop. So I, I haven't studied the ins and outs of the difference between this case and the, um, the case in Chicago two years earlier, but this time the majority actually joined Jackson and said that the, the state was able to do that. In the majority opinion, they noted that civil liberties cannot make governments powerless to prevent a breach of the peace or to use considered judgment when faced with a crisis to exercise their power and duty to preserve peace and order. 
given that among other factors, quote, the existing situation and the imminence of greater disorder. Wow. I mean, if they were saying that with regard to American rights inside of our country, how much more so an invasion at our border? I just don't know what to tell you. I just don't know what to tell you. It just, it just makes no sense. But there's literally nothing. I mean, a lot of people are talking about now about Obamacare. The Supreme Court agreed to hear the appeal. But remember, what's the appeal that the other side's appealing? Oh, the Fifth Circuit ruled against the individual mandate. What has changed? Nothing. Nothing. They just gave summary judgment. They were never going to create that chaos. The no, you know, even though we would want Obamacare to be repealed, but it would create a big disruption, right? The notion that you could just disrupt our borders at a time of caravans flooding in and an epidemic. And it's like, it's unquestionable. Like, this is the thing. I, I'm not upset at the judges in the Ninth Circuit. I'm upset at the Trump administration, at Congress. I don't blame the judges. If you, ta- if you tell Il- Ilan Omar, right? She can't do anything in Congress. She has no power. She's one of 535. Everything you ever wanted to do, you put on a black robe. You become a district judge. You come, become a appeals court judge. Whatever you rule is the law of the land until it's overturned by a higher court. And if it's not, it's the law. And even if it is, you could come back with endless more rounds of of uh, additional rounds of litigation and shut down policy. I mean, I really want to know, like, let's say they uh, say um, uh, they get wind of Trump ordering uh, Delta Force to engage in some sort of special operation against a terrorist. And a judge says, I put an injunction on your operation. Would the administration be like, okay? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really? And this is even worse. Because this is taking it into our country. And again, this is foreign policy, folks. This is foreign policy. It's not just the nationwide injunction aspect of this. And certainly, by the way, in this case, as I noted, only about 15% are coming in the jurisdiction of the Ninth Circuit. Most of them are coming in Texas, which is the jurisdiction of the Fifth. That's a whole other problem here no one's talking about. But there is no judicial jurisdiction over foreign affairs. How ironic that this lawsuit emanated from the Northern District of California. That is the very court where in 1996, that court said, the exclusion of aliens is a fundamental act of sovereignty and that the right to do so stems not alone from legislative power, but is inherent in the executive power to control the foreign affairs affairs of the nation. Encuentro del Canto Popular v. Christopher, ND, California, 1996. And, and, And there's good reason for it. There's good reason for it, folks. Because remember that when it comes to this stuff, this was all foreign policy. The president negotiated a deal with the leader of Mexico and and the leaders of um, 
several Central American countries. What, could they strike down uh, the new NAFTA? Makes no sense. It makes no sense. I don't know what to tell you. It's just unbelievable. Matthew V. Diaz. Matthews V. Diaz, 1976. Decisions in these matters, meaning immigration, may implicate our relations with foreign powers. And therefore, they said that, quote, these decisions are frequently of a character more appropriate to either the legislature or the executive than to the judiciary. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And this is why the court said in, um, where is this? It was a 1982 case. The same year of uh, Plyler v. Doe, by the way. An alien seeking initial admission to the United States requests a privilege and has no constitutional rights regarding his application. Okay? It's that simple. Is it that hard for the administration to assert this in a press conference? Folks, do you know who was Attorney General in 1993 in the sale case that Trump v. Hawaii Roberts relied on? that said 1182F could keep out anyone, even in the context of asylum, by the way, because that was an asylum case, Haitian immigrants. It was, it was William Barr. Is it so hard for that Teletubby to get up there and give a speech and say no mas? And, and again, they should have been building this case for three years already. So the public would have been laughing at the courts by now. Call your shot. Like, they don't even, they, 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 even when they appeal, I'm assuming they filed an, I don't even know if they did file an emergency appeal to the Supreme Court. I think it was just stay at the Ninth Circuit, which they agreed very temporarily. And we'll see what happens. But it's like, what I would have done years ago is I would have called my shot. I would have warned Roberts. I wouldn't seek an appeal like you know, a private citizen. You are a separate branch of government, which is stronger. And I would basically make the legal case, everything we're saying, why you don't have no standing, why it violates plenary power doctrine, why it's absurd and 50 million levels, every single foundational, foundational level, foreign policy, you name it, you have no jurisdiction. And then I would have gone political in my final page of the brief. And I would have said, we're putting you on notice. You either reign in your lower courts or we will. Stop looking at this game of whack-a-mole. I would quote that one immigration law center attorney that the quote I keep using that where she said, let a thousand immigrant lawsuits blossom. And say, stop, stop playing games here, Roberts. There are a thousand different ways they are screwing with our sovereignty. They're all the same principle, but you're allowing them all to go on. And once in a while, you clamp down on one, they come back with more. It all violates the plenary power doctrine that aliens have no right to come here or remain here. And they have no standing in our courts unless they could show that they have status to be here. 
and the decisions are left up to the political branches of government. That is your branch's case law. You will uphold it or we will uphold the Supreme Court. Get tough with them. Meaning you don't have to first go to, oh, God forbid, being like Lincoln and asserting separation of powers like we do every day with subpoenas to the legislative branch, but at least start building the case that way. And I've been saying this for three years already, start building the case. And now we're three years into this, three years behind. But that's where we are. Of course, I, I hear no effort on part of Republicans in Congress to impeach judges. At least fire that shot. I mean, they don't have control of the House, but whatever. But folks, if you don't do this, a lot of them are like, yeah, come on, Daniel. Don't worry, the Supreme Court's going to get this. But first of all, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they... You would hope they'd immediately shut this down. But what if it takes six months? Well, we're going to wait. We're going to have another border search for six months because of this. But moreover, they're missing the point. Let me admit more evidence to this. This also happened on Friday. Some of you might not have seen Epic Times. Seattle judge says Trump cannot use Washington military funds for border wall. Federal judge in Seattle ruled on Feb February uh, 27th that the Trump administration will not be able to divert millions of dollars intended intended for a military construction project in Washington state to build a wall across the US Mexico border. The ruling comes after the Trump administration announced earlier this month it would shift nearly 4 billion from the military budget toward building some 177 miles of fencing along the border. US US district judge Barbara Rothstein on Thursday blocked the administration from dipping into 89 million in Pentagon funds intended, intended for a construction project at the Naval Submarine Base Bangor, also known as Bangor Project. Now, I'm trying to figure out who had standing there. Who has standing? But again, no one needs to have standing because they could rule whatever they want. Like, who could have standing? I mean, Congress could be upset about it and fight the president. But what, a private group? You were going to give me contract funding and now, well, you don't have a right to, to that funding. Now, you might have noticed, let me ask you a question. This already went twice to the Supreme Court. We went through two rounds of shutting off the money in California. Supreme Court swatted it down. Then they did it in El Paso. Supreme Court has shut it down. Well, now we get Washington State, which is not even on the border, to do it. Do you see the point? <laughs> do, do, do you see vividly the point I've been trying to warn you guys? Even after the Supreme Court swats it down, they come in in a slightly different case, albeit it should be governed by the same principle, and they do it again and again and again. Let a thousand immigrant lawsuits blossom. You can't run a country that way. This has got to be shut down. Now, we're running out of time here, and there are so many more cases I didn't even get to. I spent so much time on the big case. But then, you know, we saw over the weekend, another judge declared that Ken Cuccinelli's entire appointment as acting USCIS director is, is void. And everything he did, every policy is void. I mean, it's like, folks, it's fun. The truth is, it's funny. The truth is, it's, it's actually pretty funny. If our government 
would be acting properly, I wouldn't mind this. Again, I'm not upset with these judges. It makes a lot of sense to me. I always joke around that they should tell Trump, you know, he's not allowed to have sex with anyone. He wouldn't do it. <laughs> he would actually listen. There's nothing a judge can't do. The notion that you could have a dispute between Congress and, and, and the executive branch and, and somehow the judiciary is the arbiter of that. It violates everything the founder said about separation of powers. So there's that case. I mean, I'm wondering what they're going to do. Just, just appeal that. I mean, you can't run a country this way. So there's that, that, there's that business. Then there's another thing I wanted to share with you from last week. American Oversight. A government ethics watch group filed a lawsuit Wednesday, this last Wednesday, suing multiple government agencies over information related to White House advisor Stephen Miller's involvement in the drafting of the public charge rule. Now, some of you might have seen, oh, we won the public charge, right? That was one thing. They're coming back already for the second round. No, I don't like the way you did it. Well, see, okay, the Supreme Court said you could do it, but, 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 but how are you doing it? I think there's issues. You need to disclose to us everything you've ever said. Show us Stephen Miller's documents. Now, you might laugh, but that's exactly what's happening on the travel ban thing. Trump v. Hawaii upheld it categorically. They're, they're filing all these lawsuits, and one of them is disclosure, and USCIS is like, yes, yes, here, you want more information? We'll give it to you. They're indulging these lawsuits, and they're winning. This is what people need to understand as you look towards a second term. Even if Republicans in the admin and Congress would be sane and doing good things, which they're not, they're downright going to be pushing bad things, jailbreak and, and amnesties and massive entitlements, which we're, we're going to have to fight. But even if they would be rock solid, albeit not rock solid on the issue of judicial supremacism and continue to indulge and acquiesce to this premise of supremacism, well, guess what? Nothing matters. Because you know, what, you know what's going to happen? We're going to get the bad things they do, but then the good things that Trump does, because this is a really a schizophrenic admin, some good, some bad. It's a reflection of the personnel, really. You know, you have Cuccinelli's policies, but then you have Esper and you have Jared and you have these other guys. So we're going to get the bad stuff and all the good stuff is going to go into the judicial casino and it, it's never going to end. What happened to all, all those good judges who, that were appointed? Well, like I told you, at the end of the day, the Democrats are still always going to have at least 50% of the judges. A lot of the good ones, the Republican appointees, aren't good either. So it doesn't matter. If all you need is at any moment, any judge that they forum shop to could say anything he wants, and that policy is either on hold or mandated. Sometimes they mandate a positive. They're literally flying in illegal aliens that we have already deported. You must bring them back, and we're doing it. I mean, we talk about how interior enforcement on the worst criminal aliens is shut down in court. But but we can't even uphold the principle of sovereignty at the border itself before they even get into the country. They're, they're saying you must bring them in. 
certainly, I mean, if they're here illegally, they, they don't have a right to remain here. That, that was um, Justice Jackson's principle. You don't have a right to come here or remain here against the national will. It's up to the political branches of, gov of government, not the courts. But, you know, it doesn't matter. At some point, we need to ask this question. And this is really where I'm just going to come full circle and come back to the beginning of the show, which is Super Tuesday and the Democrat primaries. Oh, my gosh, it's going to be so exciting. All the phony conservatives covering Bernie versus Biden and this and that. And they're missing the point. What are you doing with your megaphone where you have influence? You don't have influence over the Democrats, nor should you care to. But whoever emerges from the Democrats, what sort of coherent, principled alternative do we have to actually not just defeat them in November, but to plow a new path to actually restoring our republic thereafter and making those election results meaningful for once. And part of that is dealing with judicial supremacism. The other half of it is what we're going to talk about later this week, which is the Republican primaries. Super Tuesday. Daniel, Daniel, do, do you think Bernie has it locked up or does Biden have a chance? People forget you have a bunch of races in Texas with open seats. We have we had two of them on our show. Big, biggest one is uh, Chris Putnam. That he could defeat um, Kay Granger, one of the biggest rhinos around. There's a bunch of open seats where it's going to make a big difference. Do we have people that are more closely aligned with Elise Stefanik or people more closely aligned with Chip, Chip Roy or Andy Biggs or whatever? The gap between an Andy Biggs and an Elise Stefanik is bigger than the gap between Elise Stefanik and the Democrats. You got the Alabama primary. You got Jeff Sessions running again. And you got Tommy Tuberville, who's an open borders guy. He actually has Zuckerberg's staff until recently. Total open borders, cheap labor guy. The very impetus for what I talk about today. I have an article out today basically encapsulating our Friday show. Terrific show if you haven't heard it with uh, Hillary Gam. Giving us the origin of outsourcing. You know, I'm not one of these that's against outsourcing categorically that we need draconian protectionist government regulations. There are times where it could make sense and work for Americans to, to make cheaper things. But to this degree that we're doing it, it's not natural. It's not the free market. It all came from immigration. The brain drain to the brain gain. We bring them here, educate them. They work here. Then a lot of them go back home, steal our technology, bring it back there. Then the wherewithal to... um provide the cheap labor, then American companies go there, and then we're stuck in the time of the coronavirus where the entire medical supply chain relies on the very source country of the epidemics for which we need the medicines for. Plus, we have the immigration from these countries bringing in the diseases. You know, the case from New York everyone's talking about was an Iranian. Whatever happened to the travel ban? So much for that. But anyway, this is why we need a mo new movement to keep us focused on the primaries, convention of the, sta of, of, of the states, important strategies, important issues. We need a new contract with America that I'm in the process of crafting, whoever will listen to it. But again, I need you guys to get active when we create this Facebook page. Let's network, try to meet each other, 
these are the salt of the earth people who listen to this show. Really, I'm truly blessed. It's, it's the one thing that sustains me. Everyone asked me how I could go on this long with my blood pressure this high. Um, but that's really what it is. It's, it's, it's terrific. Having you guys as this community, you could email me at dharwitz at blazemedia.com for your comments, questions, concerns. Tweet me at armconservative. Send this show to 50, 100 of your relatives. We need to educate people on what is and what is not the power of a judge. Because unless we do, we live in nothing but a judicial North Korea. Folks, very busy week ahead of us. We're going to try to cover as much as we can. But uh, look, I might need some of you guys to, to help me with some other uh, research. So uh, let me know if you're up for that help. Till tomorrow, thank you for listening. And God bless you all.